Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 8th, we are studying Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. St. Paul gives thanks for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel and prays that God will cause their love to grow and abound more and more as he brings his good work in them to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Yeah, it's great to be back. Pastor Kilgo, we are looking at Philippians 1 today because it is an epistle pointed, appointed for the season of Advent. This is the epistle reading given for the second Sunday in Advent in series C of the three-year lectionary. As we prepare to look at it today, what are going to be some of the connections that we'll see between this text and the season of Advent? Why is this an epistle appointed for that season? So I think one of the primary things that we're going to see is that there's two references in here to to the day of Christ. That is the day in which our Lord Jesus returns in all of his glory on the last day. And this is one of the themes of Advent, right? We, we kind of always talk about this at the beginning of Advent or throughout that there's three Advents of Christ. There's his coming at his incarnation. There's his continual coming to us through word and sacrament. And there is his final coming on the last day in which he judges living in the dead and he brings us into the resurrection of all flesh and all of these things. And so St. Paul is going to make reference to both of these in this text. And I think that's the that's the big thrust that puts this into being an, an Advent reading. This is now actually the second beginning of an epistle that has come up in this series as we've been looking through Advent epistles. We looked at the beginning of First Thessalonians, excuse me, First Corinthians in a previous episode. And actually later we're going to get at the beginning of Romans. It's it strikes me having, you know, pulled all these Advent epistles out of their various lectionaries to see that that as Paul in three different occasions at least begins an epistle, the end is already in view. But wh why do you think that is? Why would Paul at the very beginning of an epistle already be talking about the end of all things? Well, I think this is actually a, uh, a particularly Christian thing, right? So, so anytime we are dealing with whatever it might be in our lives, any sort of suffering or persecution, even in this case where, where St. Paul is giving thanks, but as, as we'll talk about, he's giving thanks in a situation of suffering. One of the things that we always have in view is the, the undoing of all of that suffering, all this persecution on the last day. So, so the, the New Testament especially is always directing our eyes to the resurrection uh, so you have a few places where it talks about heaven kind of generally, but very often when St. Paul is talking about our joy or our comfort or any of these sorts of things, he's talking, he, he talks about the resurrection in connection with those. And here, when you're talking about 
the continuing work of the church and rejoicing and giving thanks and all the stuff that he's going to talk about in this section, there is also in mind, or we should have in in view the resurrection because it's going to be as we'll see the culmination of all this. So even the good works that we're doing, we know very clearly that they they're not perfect good works, but they are made perfect in Christ and particularly they're they're filled up to be complete or or finished on the last day. So even there, like our, our good works find their their fulfillment, their completion in the the day of Christ. So everything theologically in the Christian church is driving us toward the resurrection of all flesh. Yeah, and Paul can't help but talk about it already at the beginning of his epistles. It's something that I don't think I would have noticed, at least maybe not put it together had it not been for taking all these Advent texts at once. So you, you've you alluded to this already, some of the context of Philippians, that as Paul's writing this letter, he's undergoing a, a sort of persecution. Help us into some of that context. Obviously, we can't do everything here, but but what is some of that context we should know as we look at the this part of chapter one today? Yeah, so... Philippians is one of the letters that St. Paul is writing from jail that are sometimes called the captivity letters. So you have Philippians and Ephesians, Colossians, and I believe Thessalonians. No. I don't think he was in prison. It's not Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Second Timothy was. Second Timothy, but that's a later one. That's not one of these. But so this is, this is that there's a group of four letters and I'm just blanking in my mind on, on the fourth one on in in which St. Paul is writing in this particular uh, time frame, they're all written within the this you know four or five year period that he's in jail. And, and this takes place towards the end of Acts, if you want to read just kind of the end of Acts and how all this unfolds. And it, what happens is that St. Paul has been preaching and the Jews have not liked his preaching. And there's these riots and stuff that start uh, happening because of the preaching of the gospel. And so in order to quell that, the Roman authorities take him into, into prison. And at this point with Philippians, this is the last one of these he's writing from uh, prison or house arrest, however you want to think of it in Rome, because he's exercised his right as a Roman citizen to be heard by the emperor. So he's been taken to Rome and he's writing to Philippians, but Philippians has shown up earlier because it's the very first church that Paul plants in Europe. And this shows up like in, I believe it's Acts 16. We encounter this and we've got Lydia who's there, the seller of purple clothes. Um, And so Philippians has, and we're going to see this, a a very strong place in St. Paul's heart. And so he's writing to them from this jail cell. And the way it's getting delivered to them is through this guy that also shows up in Acts uh, Epaphroditus, who's going to show up later in the letter, the Philippians had sent him to Paul in order to care for him because in, in Roman prisons, it's not like the way we think of prisons where everything's provided for you. If somebody outside of the prison system doesn't bring you food and like a blanket or whatever, you're not going to have it. So right. uh, the church takes care of St. Paul by sending Epaphroditus to care for him. They tell him to stay there and take care of him. And Epaphroditus actually almost dies in, in the midst of this. And that's what St. Paul says when he's sending him back to the church in, in Philippi. So the, the general context is that Paul's writing from prison and yet even being in prison, and this is years that this has been going on now, and he's been transferred to different prisons and under different guard. 
that he still is talking about the joy that he has in Christ and the joy that he has in the gospel. And he's still talking about the coming of Christ in the last day. And I, I think that this is a good reminder for us that, uh, there, there really is, as, as he'll tell us in Romans, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But this is also where you get a fuller expression of this later in Philippians, where he talks about like rejoicing always, right? And to always keep everything in Philippians in the context of he's in prison and he's been there for a few years now when he's writing this really gives a fuller flavor of what it is that he's telling us. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, that theme of, I mean, joy is the word that always comes to my mind when I think of the letter to the Philippians. And then to contrast that with the fact that he's in prison, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned the day of Jesus Christ as being one of the Advent themes in this section, but just that larger context, I think makes Philippians a very appropriate epistle for the season of Advent, that there is joy while you're in prison, or maybe maybe the way we would think about it for our lives as Christians is there's joy even while you're in exile, while you're you're waiting for something else, where you're waiting for that fulfillment of the Lord's promises, there's joy. I mean, just that overall character of Philippians beyond the even beyond just the particular words we're gonna look at today, that full context of the epistle, I think makes this an advent epistle. Right. And it I mean this is very much the as well. You connect first Peter really strongly into this because first Peter talks about all through the epistle of of suffering and not letting that uh, bother you. It's not strange or, or whatnot. But he starts the whole thing out with, he's addressing the Christians in the, the diaspora, the Christians that have been scattered, right? And this is kind of a picture of the whole church, right? We're, we're scattered across the earth, uh, awaiting that day when Christ returns and he gathers us all together back into the, into the new Jerusalem, right? Hmm. As, a, as an aside, while you were talking, I did look up the captivity letters, and the one that we couldn't remember was Philemon. There we go. Philemon is the other Do one. Dr. Nordling will be very upset with me for forgetting that one. <laughs> In terms of, of the letter of, to the Philippians, it, we've got the context. We're going to be looking at the what's often called the Thanksgiving and prayer. Just how does What's the general flow of this letter? You've mentioned some of it, but can you just give us a, a brief synopsis of the letter itself and then how our text fits into that? Yeah, so the general flow is going to be you've got a, an opening greeting like you do in most of the letters, uh, and then you have this thanksgiving, which is a you you have in most ancient letters, but the the uniqueness of the epistles and the and the scriptures is that they take on a particularly Christian or or Christ centered emphasis, and then after after verse eleven after our text he. He gives a number of instructions and whatnot for the bulk of the text. And right in the middle of it, you have a little section where he talks about Epaphroditus, continues back into some instructions and whatnot. Some, there's some warnings that are placed in there. And then there's a second thanksgiving that's thrown in at the end of the epistle. And so they, and then you've got the, the final greetings. And so what's interesting is the, the epistle really is this big kind of chiastic structure, right? So you've got a greeting, a thanksgiving a instruction, a note on Epaphroditus, an instruction, a thanksgiving, and, a, and, and it, it's really cool to see, like you just kind of lay the thing out and see how how that moves in, in and out like that. 
as I reflect on the letter as a whole, I mean, there are some really famous passages from the mm-hmm. letter to the Philippians. You know, you get the, the in chapter one, not usually what we read today is not what most people think of, I think. But in chapter one, you have the, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain and the desire to depart and be with Christ. Chapter two, you have the the mind of Christ and this sometimes it's a called a hymn of Christ and his humility and his exaltation. In chapter three, you have the the righteousness of Christ that's better than any human righteousness. Of course, in chapter four, you mentioned already the rejoice in the Lord always. So lots of very uh, famous, I say quotable passages from from Philippians. We have the opportunity today to look at the Thanksgiving which sometimes is a section that we might skip over, but I think we're going to find a lot there to chew on. Any more introductory thoughts before we dive into the text? I, I think that's probably good for for our purposes. There's a lot to say on the history of Philippians and whatnot in the, the city, but uh, it's not necessarily important for, for our sake. All right, then let's jump in. We're in Philippians 1, verses 2 through 11. Again, this is the epistle reading for the second Sunday in Advent for series C of the three-year lectionary. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is our text for today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Pastor Kilgo, before we dig into specifics, just give your general impression of this text. What is Paul doing? What's he saying in these verses? Well, I think the the big thing is that he's he's going back and he's referencing the work that has happened between both him and the church in Philippi and how that has been connected with the, the work of Epaphroditus coming in and, and how it, it very much sounds like a, a father talking about his son, right? In, in all of this, which again, going back to the, the note that this is the first place that he, the first church that he plants in Europe, that this is, this makes a lot of sense. So if you think about, like I, I'm currently at my second call and I love the the saints at Redeemer and the church here. Uh, but as with anybody who has taken a, a call elsewhere, the, the first place that you were called always has a particularly special place in your heart as a pastor. And I think that you have this coming out in this church, in, in, in this letter to the Philippians, in how he's just overflowing with, joy and 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 rejoicing at what he's continued to see in the Philippians, right? It's not a church that he's planted and they've gone off the rails and he's now having to come in and chastise them. He can just look at them with joy and say, you guys are doing doing fantastic. Keep up the good work, basically. I mean, that's kind of how it how it feels 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the joy comes through already here. It, it does. It strikes me as you were talking again about I was trying to connect some of these dots. Paul's in prison while he's writing this. He's writing it to the Philippians. That's the place where he planted that first church in Europe. And I'd forgotten this. I flipped back to Acts 16, but that's where he is imprisoned there for a while. And so, I mean, it, it's like they've remembered his experience there. And now they continue to support him as that experience happens to him at another place. And again, you do see that that love that Paul has for these people. Another another guest made this point previously that you know sometimes we think about Paul as a missionary moving from one church to the next, but but you also get to see his pastoral heart in these epistles as well. It's not that he was somehow abandoning them when he left to go to another place, but he still very much loves these people and and seeks to act to a, as a pastor to them. And I think you see that here in Philippians 1. Right. And and he also, I, I don't think that we can overstate this, the, the importance of a church who's heard the gospel acting accordingly. And you, and you see that very clearly with the church in, in Philippi, where they, they've been cared for by St. Paul as their pastor. And then he needs to be taken care of. And so the, the role kind of gets reversed. He's still their pastor. But now they're taking care of him, right? And it, and it goes both ways. And I think for the church in Philippians, like like you mentioned, that they, because they've seen Paul in prison, maybe more than they've seen him out of prison. Yeah. That that there's a a particularly unique relationship that they have, even even there. I do think that it's interesting to consider in in the time that Paul is out as a as a pastor after his conversion. How much of that time is actually spent out doing the missionary journeys and whatnot, and how much is actually spent in some sort of captivity or, or prison? I, I, I think that it's more than we realize. Paul spends a lot of time in captivity, and that, that's where, like we mentioned, a lot of these letters get, get written from, and, and you see that, that coming out in this. Right, yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's in this letter where he says the word of God is not bound, even though he is bound. The word right. of God is not. And so even right. when he is in captivity, he's still busy acting as a pastor to these congregations. And, and that's what we're seeing here in Philippians 1. So our our text begins with words that probably are very familiar to a lot of Christians because we hear them not only in the epistles, but before many pastor sermons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And tendency, I think, to just for the pastor to just rush through those words because he says them all the time. And there's maybe a tendency for the congregation to just not listen to those words because the pastor says them all the time. So we have an opportunity again to dig into those words. Grace to you, peace. Help us into Paul's greeting and why it's more than just a, here's the beginning of my letter. Yeah, so the there are a lot of these words. We, we hear them so often that they... They, they stop having the effect they should have on us. So, for example, just hearing the word sin, like you are a sinner, or saying I, a poor, miserable sinner, that, that word does not strike our conscience the way that it really should, what it means to be a sinner. And likewise here, what, what it means that everything that's going on in this, I mean, it, it really is a loaded sentence, that God is called our Father, that that is a wonderfully beautiful thing in and of itself, and and Luther, if if the the listeners recall their small catechism, 
in the introduction of the Lord's Prayer, Luther reminds us of the beauty of this, that with these words, God invites to believe that he is our true father, we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may approach him as dear children approach their father. So in the same way, my kids can come up and ask me for stuff. So also I can go to God and ask him for stuff because he's not just God and Lord, but also father. I've, I've been brought into his household and that, that all of that's loaded into this God, our father. And it's not just Paul's father either, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not God, my father. It's God, our father, that we are under the same God, we're in the same household as each other, what, what Paul will call elsewhere, the household of faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, is a loaded term as well. All those, you know, Lord's a title, Christ's a title, Jesus is his name. And I know that we've talked about that before. I remember talking about that with the opening of Mark's gospel is really beautiful on this. But then these these terms, grace and peace, uh, really need to not be overlooked or, or overheard. That this God who is our Father and this God who is our Lord and Savior, remember that's what uh, Christ is, uh, Messiah or, or Savior, um, that he is giving to us grace. That is, he's giving us what we don't deserve. We were just talking about this in Bible study the other day, you know, what's the difference between grace and mercy? And the, the really shorthand for it is that grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. So we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve God's eternal wrath. And he doesn't give that to us. And that's his mercy. And we don't deserve uh, forgiveness of sins and eternal life and salvation and all the other things that the Lord gives us. And that's his grace to us. And a lot of times you'll get grace, mercy, and peace. That's a kind of extended. Sure. Here it's here it's just grace and peace. But that, that certainly doesn't shortchange it, right? Right. So you think about, and then peace, you have this all throughout the gospels, especially in John's gospel, where he talks about giving us peace in, in his own way, not as the world gives, that he comes in the upper room after the resurrection, he breathes on them and says, my peace I give to you, that to be at peace with God is to no longer be at war with him, to no longer be his enemy, but his friend, his child, his son or daughter, right? So if you kind of unpack it, it's, you know, Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, eternal salvation, and um, no longer being at warfare from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus, who's our Savior. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's just this massive term. You have to wonder how how this would have struck the the, the Greek hearers of mm-hmm. these things, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's tons loaded into it, and and with all the unpacking that you've done too, I think just the the force of these words is something that we may lose sight of as well. That when Paul says grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's more than well wishes. It's more than an imparting of information, but it's really, I, I think the way I would say it is it's a giving of a blessing. You, you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier how you have sort of the, the, the front of the epistle matches the end. You know, you at the end of this epistle, you'll get the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you a blessing that's really what's happening here. This is more than just the imparting of information, but something's actually being given. Grace and peace are actually being given at this moment from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. And it's it's the same, you know, in, in the liturgy, we don't consider this nearly enough either that, you know, at, at the end when the pastor is giving the benediction and he says, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord makes face shine on you and be gracious to you, the Lord lifts his countenance upon you and give you peace. That that's, that's not just saying... I think a lot of times we hear that as, okay, the service is over, time to leave. 
And what it actually is, is giving you exactly what it says. It, it's all attached to this, the, the performative word that God's word actually does the things that it speaks. And so when, when this is said to us, when, when St. Paul writes this and we, we hear this grace to you and peace, that God is actually giving us his grace and his peace with those words, mm. right? When, when you hear your pastors say, the Lord bless you and keep you, et cetera, the Lord is actually giving you his blessing and his keeping and his face shining upon you with those words, which is a, a beautifully wonderful reality to, to rejoice in. Mm. Right. The actual, that, that God's word does something. And that's, and I, I think we should also add that's true, not only for those words there in verse two, but then that's going to be true through the rest of this letter, through the text we're going to read that through the rest of God's words, grace is going to be given. Peace is going to be given that, you know, I mean, the, the passage from Isaiah that talks about how God's word does what he purposes. When you, when you come to the word of God, he's actually working on you there. You're not just sort of sitting there and, and getting information for your brain, but God's actually at work to do something for you. And as this verse assures us, it's a good thing that he's doing for you. Yeah. And, and maybe one last note on this, but I mean, it's so important for us to just keep wrapping our minds around this this reality. I think my favorite passage on this has come to be in Ezekiel chapter two, where Ezekiel has fallen down before the Lord and the Lord, it says, and the Lord spoke to me, uh, son of man arise and stand on your feet. And it, and then it says, and the spirit entered into me and stood me on my feet. And it, it's so great because it, it actually lets you peek behind the curtain of what's happening. Normally God just says, stand on your feet and the person stands up. And we don't realize that it is the spirit working through those words that it actually accomplishes the words themselves. So that, that is a, a wonderful like I said, peeking behind the curtain of what's going on there so that when he says here, grace to you and peace or all the other things that he says uh, to us throughout all the scriptures, that the spirit is actually coming and handing those things to us or doing those things uh, within our lives. And that's the gift that the spirit is giving today through the word that we are reading here on Sharper Iron. We need to take our break. If you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're looking at Philippians chapter one with Pastor Sean Kilgo this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 8th. We're studying Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we were laying out the context for the letter to the Philippians and looked at the first verse, the grace and peace that God, our Father, gives, and it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then launches into what's often called his thanksgiving. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And it really stands out how often he uses the word all in these first couple of verses, all my remembrance of you always in 
every prayer of mine for you all over and over again, this focus on the word all really stands out in this text. Yeah. And I, I think that it's helpful to, to kind of zoom in on the alls. There, there's another place just off the top of my head that I can think that, that this happens. Jesus does this in the great commission at the end of Matthew. There's, there's a series of like four or five alls that are in there and they don't all show up in English really clearly, but the, these are the intensifiers of what's going on, right? So, so for example, he gives thanks to God, not just in, in his remembrance of them, but in, he gives thanks to God always, right? With his, with his remembrance or in, in, in all of his remembrance, right? So, so all, all of his thinking about the, the people in Philippi is, is attached to his giving thanks for them, right? And it, and just to even pause there, that this is a good, a good reminder, I think, for pastors one, to to pray for and give thanks for our members, even maybe when we don't want to, right? Because that you know, pastors are flesh and blood like everybody else, and we have our own issues. Anybody that's been pa- around a pastor very much at all knows that we've got plenty of our own issues. And this is just a good reminder that certainly there's people in. Uh, Philippi that St. Paul, you know, kind of would, you know, pound his head against the the wall a little bit. Yeah. We, uh, we about, talked but... about this with the letter to the Corinthians that, yeah. that, you know, the Corinthians are sometimes thought of the problem child of the, the New right. Testament and Paul gives thanks for them. He does so for the Philippians as well. And as you said, we've been painting kind of a, maybe a rosy picture of the joy, the partnership that exists between Paul and the Philippians. And, and yet, as you said, no doubt, there are Christians there in, in the city that, that maybe Paul didn't get along with all the time. Right. And, and the point is, even in spite of that, there is a reality that exists as Christians that transcends that, right? And it's kind of always pressing us to treat one another as uh, those whom Jesus has died for and those who are covered with his blood. The, these are the baptized, right? So you are, you are brothers and sisters with me in the same household of God, as we mentioned before. And so I can give thanks in all of my remembrance or all my memory of you. And it's not, and then it, it intensifies even more in all, at all times, right? And, and this will, this is kind of reflecting what's going to come up later. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, right? So he, he gives thanks here in all of his memory at all times in all of his prayers. So anytime he's praying, he's praying for the Philippians, right? So again, a, a good reminder for, for pastors, you know, when we pray in our own prayers, we ought not neglect praying for those who have been entrusted to us by God. But also you can flip this around. You can see a bit of instruction even going on here because St. Paul, he, he doesn't do it in, in Philippians that, that I remember at least, but he does this elsewhere where he talks about following his example. He exhorts the, the congregation to to do what he does. And so we can see this here that uh, all Christians ought to keep in their prayers those of the household of faith. That This is just a, a good and salutary practice. And it's good not only for those who we pray for, it's good for us too, because it actually does affect our the way we think of them. And then it, it, it doesn't come, come out super clearly um, how emphatic it is, but it's for all y'all 
it, it says for you all, but it's it's really for all y'all. That's why that, I stumbled over it. It's because it doesn't say y'all in the in the ESV. If it had said y'all, I wouldn't have stumbled over it. I, it should it should say that y'all. It should say y'all. So so it's it's a really emphatic. I mean, he could just say you plural for for right. y'all, but it's all y'all, which makes you as a as a Texan, I'm sure, very happy. I'm terribly proud. And. Yes. And so he's not just again, he's not just praying for the people that he gets along with. He's praying for everybody. Right. Because that that is actually the Christian attitude behind this. And and he does this this prayer with joy. Right. So so the prayer, it, it's not a, a begrudging prayer, but he he takes joy in praying for them. And, and again, th- this is something that only happens if we're actually diligent with our prayers, because the prayers, like I said previously, actually are going to change our mindset. They're going to change our own will on how we view those around us, how we view those of the household of faith, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, certainly. The the more diligent we are in prayer, the more often we're engaged in prayer, the more likely we are to pray like that. If it's if it's when we pray, you know, just once or twice or here and there, it's it's more likely to to be, you know, maybe a little more begrudging. But but when we're constant in prayers, as Paul urges the Thessalonians to be and all Christians to be, then then the thanksgiving, the joy, this all my remembrance for all y'all really comes through. And and what a gift that Paul has to to give there to us and to the Philippians when it comes to this prayer. Moving a little bit farther, we've talked a little about the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, their history of Paul having been in prison and them supporting him. They're still doing that now. Paul in verse six says, and I think this is, I mentioned earlier, maybe there aren't as many familiar passages in this section, but I think verse six is, is reasonably familiar. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I do think that that's a, a familiar passage that, that God will, he's begun this good work and then he'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What, what is this good work that God's begun? What does it mean for him to bring it to completion? And then You've mentioned this already. What is the day of Jesus Christ? Yeah, so th- this is a fantastically beautiful for a number of reasons. One, just generally speaking of good works, that we, like I said, we know that our good works are lacking in in their perfection and their completeness. And yet the Lord promises that he will fill up what is lacking in, through Christ. And so we can go about our duty of living faithfully by our vocations. God has given for example, me, he's given me to live faithfully as a father and husband and pastor and Christian and citizen and all these sorts of things. And, and so I've got plenty to occupy myself with all of that. And I look at what's my duty according to those uh, stations in life. And I do them knowing that I'm going to not do them perfectly, but I'm not worried about the fact that I'm not going to do them perfectly. I don't let that paralyze me from, from working at it because I know that the Lord one is going to use my incomplete works now to accomplish his will here, but he's also going to fill up what is lacking in them. And when Christ returns, they're going to be perfect. They're going to, they're going to be perfect. But the, the larger thing that I think that's going on in here is this is speaking about our faith. So I think sometimes we forget that faith is a good work according to the first commandment. So the first commandment commands faith. So the, the good work done according to you shall have no other gods is faith. Um, and the Lord works that good work in us we you know we we are like the 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 man in uh the gospels we 
I, I believe help my unbelief. And we even say this in the second article, third article, the creed, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe yeah. so that there's, there's always kind of the, this tension as we're still fighting against the old, the old Adam in us until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he brings it to completion. Now, a little note on this, this is, um, a, a, uh, the, the word comes out of the same word as it is finished on Good Friday. It's teleo, which is to, to complete or finish or perfect, right? And just kind of roll all that together. And so in the same way that our salvation is finished or completed in Christ's death, that's the same sort of completing that's going to be done of our good works on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when, when he returns. And, and we can hear... We know this from the way we actually use this passage in our liturgy. It, it doesn't show up that often, so maybe we forget it. But this is the prayer for the confirmants. So if you look at the, the confirmation rite, we pray this there, that he who has began a good work will complete it. We also pray this when we're blessing like Sunday school teachers or officers in the church or whatever. We, we say, he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in both of these, we're... We're, we're taking this and we're applying it both to faith and to vocation. And I think that that's instructive on how we ought to understand this passage. Hmm. Tell us about the day of Jesus Christ. You mentioned that early at the, you know, when we're talking about Advent and why this text shows up. The day of Jesus Christ is in verse six, in verse, oh, where did it go? Verse 10, you hmm. get the day of Christ. What, what is this day? Yeah, so that's that's just simply the last day. So when when Christ returns, as he has promised, whatever day that ends up being, and and we'll maybe just note the obvious point that St. Paul doesn't say when that's going to be, um, because he's listened to Jesus also, who says, you know neither the day nor the hour, but there is going to be the day that's going to come up. And, and it's literally, I, I really like this in verse six, it's literally uh, Jesus Christ's day. Right? It's, it's the day that belongs to him. It's his when he returns. And so uh, it's it's on that day when all the dead are raised, when you have the, the new Jerusalem, new heavens and the new earth, all of these things going on. We get our, our bodies back in their perfection and immortality and incorruptibility, et cetera, et cetera. That's that day. And that's also when our good works are brought to their completion or their perfection. Hmm. You you mentioned that it is Jesus Christ's day, the day that belongs to him. Why? I mean, I think when you hear the the term the day of Jesus Christ, maybe the the way you think about it is the day of Jesus Christ, the day of his return. You kind of add, why? What's the significance of understanding the day actually belongs to him? What does that add to that understanding? Well, I think what it adds is that everything that's happening there on that day is being done through and by and and for. Christ. It's the day when finally everything is placed under his feet, as the psalmist says, right? Sit at my right hand until I place all enemies under your feet. And then Paul will bring us up that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So finally, when death is destroyed, when Christ returns and all the dead are raised, that that everything has been placed finally under his feet. And and it just belongs to him, right? Uh, the day belongs to him. And there is also this, this beautiful idea that once you get to the resurrection, it is just a perpetual day. It's not, I mean, we can think in terms of like day and night and whatnot, but there seems to be this indication that there's just a perpetual day 
it just kind of keeps going. What the, what the ancient church would talk about is the eighth day. Um, so you've got the seven days of creation and the eighth day is the perpetual day of the resurrection. It's why we have like eight sided baptismal fonts and, and whatnot, the kind of little nuances there. As Paul continues into verse seven, he, he starts to you know expound upon the joy that he feels. It's, I, it strikes me perhaps it's because I'm a Lutheran and I, I don't often, and a Lutheran pastor, we often will, will say, you know, don't put your faith in your feelings to be careful about your feelings. But Paul brings out his feelings here. You know, it's, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I hold you in my heart. And what stood out to me, especially with what you were talking about, for you are all partakers with me of grace, that, that Paul rejoices that these Philippian Christians share in the same grace that he's been given. He's, he's united with them in that grace of God. And again, I think you see the pastor's heart there that, that he rejoices that this congregation, the first one in Europe that he founded, still shares in this gospel. They share in that grace. And so that on the last day, that good work that God began in Paul and he began in Fli the Philippians, it's going to be completed for all of them together. Yeah, so there's actually a little kind of text note that I think is is helpful here. So we have this... I. Um, holding you in my heart, right? And that and that's good. The, the word that's translated for, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I'm not sure why it's translated that way because it, it is the word for for the mind or for mindfulness. Sure. And, and this is something that's, you. yeah, it's it's gonna come up a little bit later where he talks about the, the connection between love and knowledge and discernment. So there is one of the things that we wanna hold together is our, our feelings, which are, you know, good gifts of God, but also our, in this case, our, our mindfulness or our, our knowledge. And that these things Paul is bringing together here. It's right for me to think this way about you or be mindful. And again, it's, it's all y'all here again. It's mine, right for me to be mindful about all y'all uh, because I hold you in my heart, right? And so there's kind of the, the emotional appeal is that the holding in, in my heart. And and he talks about the uh, being partakers of me or with me in grace, but then he also connects this into his his imprisonment. It says his imprisonment, but it's it's the bonds. It's the same sort of word that you mentioned earlier that that the scriptures are not bound, so that that he's in in his bondage and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And so, what is what is his what is he thinking about and what is he holding in his heart? It's their faithfulness. Right. And, and as a pastor, you, you, you see this. I mean, I, I say this every now and then, you know, it, it warms my heart uh, when I, I see a parishioner who just loves the gospel and lives in that way. Right. Or I remember we were at Higher Things one time and that is, I think, the last day or the day, second to last day. And a chapel was going to be coming up in a while. And a bunch of the kids came up and they said, hey, pastor, we're going to we're going to go to we're going to go sit in the chapel and wait, wait for it to start. And I looked at my watch. I was like, you know, church doesn't start for like 45 minutes. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. We want to go. We want to go early so that we can get good seats. And I'm like, that makes a pastor's heart feel so, so good. Right. And I think that's what's going on here with St. Paul is he's considering, you know, look at how zealous and faithful you are right? That you, you've been with me not only in my bonds it, as I've been in prison, but you've also been with me in the defense that the, this is the apologia where we get apologetics from and the, 
the confirmation or the trying to think of what what else this this ends up me meaning so this is like the the ratification or the 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 establishment of the gospel right and that in this they're partakers of of god's grace that which he proclaimed to them earlier with him right the it, in doing this, they, they are receiving the forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation and all this, right? Hmm. I appreciate you bringing out the mindfulness of that word that is translated feel in the, in the ESV. There's a connection there, I think, later to chapter two, the mind of Christ that he, he urges upon, you know, have this mind among in yourselves, which is yours in Christ. There's a, you can see how he's laying the foundation, like mm -hmm. with the word joy. You can see how he's laying the foundation for the rest of this epistle. With words like that, keep keep going. We've got about seven minutes here, Pastor Kilgo. So let's let's move into the kind of the we get more of his yearning for them. You know, the affection or the compassion it looks like in the Greek of Christ Jesus. And then in in verse nine, though, I think he, we get more of Paul's prayer, and he's he's already talked about God beginning the good work, bringing it to completion, and now there's a prayer for what's happening among them right now that their love would abound that their, their knowledge and discernment would increase. And again, with that eye toward the day of Christ again, help us into to verse nine and following. Yeah. So, so he, he says that, you know, it, it's my, my prayer. So it's actually, I, I want to back up. So God is my, my, you, you mentioned this, God is my, my witness that I, I long for all, and it's an all y'all again. They, I mean, there's just a bunch of these in here. It showed up in the previous passage too, that all y'all are partakers of grace, which I mean, it's just good because it's everybody. Like there's no exclusionary aspect of this. It's, it's everybody regardless of their, of their age or their socioeconomic status or whatever it might be. Right. God is my witness that I long for all y'all in the, in the affection of Christ Jesus. This is this, um, it's a fun word to say. It's splagitsomai. It, it's the 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 compassion that's kind of in the gut sort of language. And it in the Gospels, it's particularly important because this is the word that gets used to describe Jesus's compassion toward the people. So here, it's the compassion of a Christ Jesus. So it's the compassion that that belongs to Christ Jesus that He Himself exhibits in the Gospels. And now Paul, as a Christian, is exhibiting that towards his his parishioners as well. So there's that flow in the same way, like we love because he first loved us, sort of deal. That the it's flowing in that direction. Hmm. And then from that, like you said, we get the 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 prayer again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Like it just keeps growing. That you've you've got this great love right now but he he wants it to keep growing there there's there's a boundlessness to the love that we can exhibit it, it's it's never done love i've mentioned this like in preaching before love is should be the most terrifying word to us in the scriptures because it's a word that's never done i never finish loving god and i never finish loving my neighbor and yet it's also the most beautiful word because it's how the lord describes his work towards us that god loves shows his love for us in this way that he sent his only begotten son to die. So love from us is is never done, but love for from God to us is done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he wants this to continue growing and in abounding in more and more, but that it what, what's interesting is that again he connects us into it grows more and more into or, or with knowledge, and there, there's another all in here again, all discernment, right? So that it, it's not just love that is unbounded, 
It's not just love that just, you know, love for the, for love's mm-hmm. sake. It's love that is placed into the context of the, the knowledge and discernment that the scriptures give to us, that the Holy Spirit gives to us through the scriptures. And I think that's an important note, especially in our day, because there, there's a tendency to take love and just make it into, like I said, love for love's sake. Um, yeah and not place any, any boundaries on this, but love always has boundaries on it. Even for someone who wants to not place boundaries, everybody has a limit to, to their love, right? We all place boundaries on it. So the question is not whether or not we place boundaries on our love, but whether or not those boundaries are being given to us societally or internally by our own emotions or by God himself. And so what Paul is saying, abound more and more into love that is bounded by uh, the knowledge and discernment of the Lord's word. Mm, yeah, that fits in perfectly with a conversation we had in the same series about Romans 13, where where Paul talks about owing this debt of love to everyone. That's the only debt that you continue to owe. And that love fulfills all the commandments. But as you said, the commandments, they give shape to that love. The knowledge and discernment here give shape to the love that's abounding more and more. Looking forward to the day of Christ. Pastor Cody, we got about two minutes here for final comments on these verses and to help us wrap things up with Philippians 1, pointing us to our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so this is a, a nice thing to, to stop on, too, so that you may, you may approve what is excellent, right? This is you know kind of the discernment language, but then he makes this shift, and so be pure and blameless for Christ's day. And that you, you can hear a reflection of like Ephesians in here, where he talks about Christ presenting his bride, holy and, and blameless without spot or blemish, that I am not pure and blameless. Like anybody who knows me knows that I'm not pure and blameless. And yet the promise that is given to me is that through God's love, through his mercy and grace, that I am presented by Christ himself to be pure and blameless. He actually makes me into that. And it's the the, the fulfillment of going back to, to previously, it's bringing into completion what God has already started at work in me, what we call the, the life of sanctification or being made holy. So I'm, I'm in the process of being made pure and blameless, and I will reach the full attainment of that on the last day. And that's a promise given to me, to St. Paul, to the church in Philippi, and to all Christians, right? So all, all the Christians who are listening to this, like, this is your promise too. You are promised that you will be pure and blameless as crazy as that might sound like we can't even imagine what that looks like but that's the promise and we can rejoice with that and then also that we are filled uh with the fruit of the spirit although here like it just esv just says filled with the fruit of the spirit but it, it's connected back it's a perfect so it's having been filled with the with the fruit of um sorry i said of spirit uh fruit of righteousness um that comes uh, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, uh, so that on that day I'm also filled with the fruit of righteousness. That that is the fruit of Christ's righteousness. That I'm filled with the forgiveness of sins and with eternal life and everlasting salvation. All these things we've been talking about, and that all of this is done finally to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Walther makes this beautiful statement that the the purpose of all theology is to give all glory to God alone, and this is one of the forgotten solas, we might say, is the soli deo gloria, glory be to God alone. And that that's what's happening here. We, we get to the last day, God makes us perfect and blameless and filled with righteousness. Um, and we look at God and it's to his glory, right? We, we don't take any of the credit for that. 
Pastor Sean Kilgo is pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 to 11. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text or other epistle texts for the season of Advent, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.